Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, but once in a while, I get the chance to come down to Vandalia and be with you all. So if I don't know you, hello. If I do, if I do, it's good to see you again. It's good to be back. Pastor Mark sends his love from uh, sunny Mexico. We can all give him a hard time when he gets back. Uh, he's, he's down there with Pastor Cameron right now teaching at a, at a ministry school for missionaries and pastors who are from the kind of the south central Mexico area to then go back to their areas, their villages, their towns, and be equipped to lead, to, 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 to pray, to, to do all these things that Pastor Cameron and Pastor Mark and the whole Paleo team, it's a ministry we partner with down in Mexico, um, to just equip them, to love them, to pour into them. So we're proud of our pastoral staff. I'm excited that they're there. I'm a little bit jealous that they didn't invite me, but maybe next time. In any case, uh, we're continuing our Grace Canon series, where the first kind of, a month ago we looked through different passages in the New Testament to see the grace of God exemplified in Jesus through different um, Different authors, we went through James, Luke, Paul, uh, and, now, and now we're jumping into the Old Testament, right? Last week, Reuben did a phenomenal job. Thank you, Reuben. It was great. I was, I was here supporting Reuben as he brought the word from the story of Jacob to see the grace of God in the story of Jacob. One of the things, if you weren't here, I'll just refresh you. One of the things that, uh, or if you were, I'll refresh you still. One of the things he said that I really, it really stuck out to me was it, was it was in Jacob's wrestling with God where he says, God, the, the man kind of asks, what's your name? And Jacob says, it's, it's Jacob. That, then God can rename him Israel. Like it's, it's in recognizing that he's the heel grabber. It's in recognizing that he's the swindler, that he's the, he's, he is who he is in his, all of his brokenness, that God can then rename him Israel. That he, he who has wrestled with God and is man and man and has overcome. And so we're going to jump a few centuries forward to this, this prophet, really a, an obscure prophet from the Old Testament named Jonah. And we want to look at the book of Jonah together. And, uh, and I think we'll be maybe a bit surprised at what we find. If I was to ask you, like, are you familiar with the kind of the plot line, the story of Jonah? How many would maybe identify? You're familiar with Jonah, more or less? You know, kind of know what happens. So tell me, what what like what's what's Jonah all about? Hey, here we go. Speak up. What'd you say? He gets eaten by a fish, right? And if we're honest, like that 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 can be. I forgot my clicker. That can be kind of the. The idea, right? Jonah is this prophet of Yahweh, and he gets eaten by this fish, and like that's that's what it's about. So just a quick kind of Google search, book of Jonah. Here's some pictures. Jonah and the great fish. He's standing on the tongue, just floating. Uh, here's Jonah kind of bench pressing the whale. You know, it's interesting though, this kind of makes it kind of it kind of makes Jonah, the picture at least, into like some sort of like a hero. Like he's 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 yeah. conquered the fish in a sense. Um, here's another one, the the book of Jonah, where this, this, the ship, the ship is over there and the fish is coming to swallow him up. And 
And then there's, uh, there's this one, <laughs> where it's like, oh, thanks for the ride, sir. I'm off to, uh, to better things. God is restoring me. And I'll, okay, fine, I'll go to Nineveh if I must. Very well. Toodaloo. So, what, uh, so Tim Mackey, kind of one of the leaders of this thing called the Bible Project, he's amazing, he's a great teacher. If you've never heard of the Bible Project, I would just recommend looking that whole ministry up. But he, he calls this the VeggieTales Factor. Right, where we, we, get, we think we're so familiar with a story that we just assume we kind of know what's going on. And we're, we can actually re- gloss over some things, read over some things, because, because we, we just assume that we know what's going on. We assume that the story is about Jonah and this fish. But reality is that the fish is not the point. The fish only appears twice in the whole book. The fish is just this blip of God, of Jonah trying to actually kill himself. And God saying, not yet, I'm not done with you. And he, and he sends a fish to swallow him up to redeem his mission. So, so kind of this is where we'll just start. What I want to do this morning is kind of just look at a few select passages from Jonah, but then just kind of summarize some of the middle sections. It's not a long book. I think what we'll find out is that this is a story about a subversive, a rebellious prophet who, who hates that God loves his enemies. It's a story about a, a, a rebellious prophet who's, who hates that God is a God who loves his enemies. Yeah. And so this is where it starts. Now the, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, okay, stop there. This, this, is the, this is the setup to most prophetic books. If you go one chapter forward to, to Micah, this is how it starts. The word of the Lord came to Micah. And then... Then it is all of Micah's prophetic oracles to the nation. Jonah is a completely different, it's a, it's a unique book. It's not a story, it's not the prophetic oracles of Jonah, it's a story about the prophet. This is really unique in the, in the prophetic literature. And so, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jonah meaning uh, dove, son of Amittai meaning faithfulness. So this is the dove, son of faithfulness saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, I'll stop again. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria, in the ancient world, was the worst terrorist. Like, you can't imagine the, the cruelty that they did to the nations that they conquered. This was the enemy, the one in control of the land of Israel. This, this, this was like the big bad wolf in, in, ancient, in the ancient world, especially the first part of the, of the last millennium before Christ. And so he says, Arise, go to the capital city of the worst empire in the world, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. To go with them to Tarshish, away, there's an H there, I don't know why, away from the presence of the Lord. So to give you a little, oops, give you a little geography. You might not be able to see it, but you can maybe see some of the, the points. Here's, here's Joppa, here's Nineveh, here's Tarshish. So, so, so like this, is, this would be the equivalent of us saying like Timbuktu, like 
the farthest possible place. He's running as far away as humanly possible. This is, this is almost hyperbole. Like, I'm going as far away from this thing as I possibly can. And the question we want to ask is, why is he running? Like, some, some, maybe some obvious, like, okay, Assyria, you know, the worst enemy of Israel. Like, this, this would be like the equivalent of, of maybe a Jewish rabbi parachuting down into Nazi Germany. Like in the middle of in the middle of the, the Second World War, where it's like, no, that's a death sentence. Like, why would I ever go there? And so maybe there's some fear involved, but we'll find out actually in chapter four. There's a different motivation for Jonah running. But just to say, Jonah gets on a ship, flees to Tarshish. Now, the, the, this prophet, I said he was obscure, right? Jonah appears only one other time in the whole Old Testament. And it's during the reign of Jeroboam II. Uh, Jeroboam II was a bad, bad king. Like he, was, he was a bad king in the northern kingdom. Took after his namesake, Jeroboam I, who rebelled against the, the you know, the, the, he was the first part of the divided kingdom in, after post-David. And, uh, and Jeroboam I had built these these alternative temples to Yahweh, in, well, kind of to Yahweh, in, in the northern kingdom. So Jeroboam II then is kind of taking after his namesake. He's doing all sorts of wicked things in the land of Israel. Jonah prophesies favorably toward Jeroboam II in, the, the, in, in the 2 Kings 14. I'll just read it here if you haven't already. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, it's the northern kingdom, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Jeroboam the first, which he had, which he had made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebanon, or uh, Lebahamath, as far as the sea to Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke to his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. And so, granted, it says the word of the Lord, right? There's, maybe there's something here, right? Jonah, though, prophesies favorably for this, this wicked king. Now, if you go to Amos, Amos actually reverses this prophecy. Amos says, no. God will not restore the border. You will lose the land because you're a wicked king. So, so we have this like, weird idea of who Jonah is. And so if you're, a, if you're a first reader and you're like, oh, Jonah. Like, oh, I remember. There's like that one prophet who's mentioned that one time in this back, back part of 2 Kings. Where he, 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 he's a prophet, but he, but he kind of has national interests in mind. He's, he's, he's kind of like a nationalist prophet. He really cares about the border and about extending the border of Israel. And so this is Jonah. Like he's, not, he's not necessarily a good guy in the mind of, of Israel. And, and, uh, and so this is, this, is the, the, this is a story about what happened to him. Now there's a lot of extremes. A lot of extremes in, in the book of Jonah. Everything is great. The, 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 the sea is great. The wind is great. The fish is great. The city is great. All of Jonah's emotions are great. He's exceedingly angry. He's exceedingly happy. Everything is kind of to the nth. And I think we get a picture here of, of some of the, 
the hyperbole, the exaggeration, the, 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 like, it's meant to awaken us as readers to say, whoa, what's going on here? Like, this is extreme. And the author has a point to make. And I think one of the things the author wants to do, and we'll get to this later, but he wants to hold up a mirror to the reader. Let's see if I can get the glare right on Joe's face here. He wants to hold up a mirror to, to us to say, do you see, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in Jonah? Do you see your own tendencies? You see, Jonah is actually meant, I believe, to, to reveal the worst tendencies in the people of God. The story of Jonah, we're, we're kind of to go through it and then, and then eventually it's like, oh, oh, that's, that's me. Like, I do, I do those things. And so, uh, buckle up. We're going to have some fun here. It's kind of like a gut punch, but to really, to really like, get you to like, wake up and see that, that God's grace is, isn't just for those who somehow have earned it, but it's... it's no, like, no one deserves this grace. And so, here we go. Oops. Back up. I'll go back to the first part of Jonah. So what I want to do is just kind of summarize what happened. So Jonah flees. He flees to, to Tarshish. He goes down into the, the boat. He goes down into the belly of the boat. And as he's sleeping, there's this crazy uh, wind, storm. It's chaotic. He's downstairs. He's kind of like tuned out to the whole thing. He's maybe sleeping. And the sailors are up. The pagan sailors are up. It's the storming. They're throwing their cargo off. They're, they're praying to their gods. They're saying, oh, what's happening? What's happening? Finally, the, 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 the captain of the ship goes down, wakes up Jonah, and he says, what are you doing? Maybe pray to your God. Maybe your God will be able to save us from this calamity. And Jonah, he, he doesn't pray, but he says... I serve the God who, who made the land and the sea. And it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, you're, it's, you're laughing as the reader at this point. You're like, hey, Jonah, you're running from this God who made the land and sea on a boat. And now there's, there's this storm, and instead of praying to your God, you're just saying, I serve the God who made the land and sea. So, so the sailors cast lots. They basically roll dice and say, why has this calamity come upon us? The lot falls on Jonah. Jonah says, okay, you know what? Here's what you need to do. Just throw me overboard. If you just, just throw me into the sea and then this calamity will stop. But, but the sailors don't want to have blood on their hands. And so they try to row desperately as hard as they can to shore saying maybe we can escape this storm. Finally they realize, no, we can't. And so kind of against their will, they throw Jonah overboard. And as they do, they're repenting to Yahweh, not to their gods, but to Yahweh saying, God, you are truly the God of who made the sea and the land. You are the, no, none of our gods can save us, God, but you, Yahweh, you can save us. And so they throw Jonah overboard to what apparently would be his, his death. Like Jonah is essentially saying, I think, kill me because I'd rather die than pray to Yahweh who could save us from this calamity. So this is the, maybe the ultimate sense of fleeing from the Lord. I'm going to flee. I would rather die. I would rather die. And so God's not done with Jonah. And God sends a fish to swallow up what would be impending death. Swallow it up and, and turn it around. And, and, and bring restoration to this mission that's ultimately God's. See, Jonah didn't want to carry out this mission that God had given him. 
The question is, I think, part, as, we, as we move through this story, where, where are we fleeing to Tarshish? Like, where are we running from what God's actually calling us to do? It's just kind of this moment to say, okay, you know, where do I think this is the vision for my life? This is what I want my life to look like. And God's saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is where I'm sending you. This is what I want to see you do. And this is what I want to see me do through you. Are you willing to go? And maybe it's not going anywhere geographically. But maybe it's just actually going and speaking what God's saying to speak. Doing what God's telling you to do right where you are. Right in the middle of what you're already doing. So, so we see this, this scene where this, the fish swallows up Jonah. Jonah, he kind of, kind of repents from the, the belly of the fish. He kind of prays. And he doesn't really say he's sorry, but he says, Surely you have saved me. And so God's answer to Jonah's prayer from the belly is to vomit him up onto the dry land. Right? He's, he's the guy who made the sea. And he's the guy who made the dry land. He vomits him up onto the dry land. Chapter 3, then, kind of restores Jonah's mission. So the word, come, the word of the Lord comes back to Jonah, the, 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 the son of Amittai, and it says, Now go again to Nineveh, because its evil has come up before me. So Jonah goes to, to Nineveh. And it says it's this great city. It's this three days walk. And he walks one day into the city and he says five words. Not a, not a terribly well-crafted sermon. He says five words. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days. He says it, it's only one time, but I'm going to repeat it. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. If you just look at, at, this, at the content of this, of this message, there's some key things missing. Uh, he doesn't say what they have done wrong. Right? He doesn't say uh, how they should respond. He, does, he has no mention of Yahweh. There's no mention of, of God. It's just 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's, a, there's an important point in this idea of overthrown. Uh, overthrown is this idea of, you know, it'll be, it'll be taken over, but it has a dual meaning. It can also mean it can be... Tr- 40 days and Nineveh will be transformed. It will be changed. And that, that latter meaning is actually what ends up happening. And so, so Jonah you know, gives the word of the Lord to Nineveh. And despite his best efforts, they all repent. From the king to the cows to, to every person in the land. They all turn. They all repent. And it says, I'll jump, jump forward to the verse in chapter 3 at the end. And so, so it says, they all turn from the evil that's in their hearts. And then it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So we have these sailors who are supposed to be these pagan, idol-worshipping sailors who, who, who end up turning to Yahweh and, and worshiping Him. We have this city, the, the worst, cruelest city in the ancient world, paper-thin consciences. Jonah preaches a message. They all repent. And we have this prophet, this, this rebellious prophet, who runs from the presence of the Lord, who flees, who ends up getting swallowed by a fish to restore his mission 
gives kind of a half-hearted, at best, sermon, the whole city repents, including the cows. And then Jonah tells us, then Jonah tells us why he ran in the first place. Jonah 4, 1, and following. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In other words, it was a great evil. What God had, what happened in Nineveh was evil in Jonah's sight. Like he, his, whole, his whole mind was just kind of distorted so that where, where a city repents, that's evil. Jonah was mad. He was greatly displeased. And he was angry. And he prayed. This is only the second prayer in the whole book. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? He's vindicating himself. He's he's throwing God's own word back into God's face. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That's why I ran, because that makes me mad. This is God's self-revelation to Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, Jonah quotes it back to him. He says, this is who you are, and I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Because I hate these these enemies of mine, and you love them. Because I want to see their destruction, and you want to see their restoration. So So he's taking God's word, and he's throwing it back as an insult to Yahweh. This is why I ran. Because you're a God who loves my enemies and I hate it. So I would rather die. Twice in this, in this last chapter, Jonah says, I would rather die. Please, God, kill me. His prayer says, kill me, God. That's what I want you to do. I want you to kill me. Because I would rather die than to live with a God who loves my enemies. And so, just to kind of summarize the last part of this last chapter, it's a short book. It's not very long. You can read it in just a few minutes. But there's so much going on here. You, this is kind of, it's, it's presented often as this kid's story about this fish. But it, you have to be like an adult to kind of understand some of the big themes in this story that, we, that expose the worst parts of human nature in relation to God. So God, so Jonah is mad at God. He says, kill me. God says, he doesn't answer. Uh, so then Jonah goes out to the east of the city and he builds himself a tent. So basically, he wants to watch to see maybe this repentance will be very short-lived and maybe Nineveh will will repent from its repentance and maybe it will be judged after all. So he builds a tent on on kind of the hill overlooking uh, Nineveh. And and then as his tent isn't very good, he's not a very good builder. And so God causes a plant to grow up and to give shade to Jonah. And this makes Jonah exceedingly happy, right? This is the, he's kind of manic. He's exceedingly mad. And then there's this plant, and he's, now he's exceedingly happy. And, and it provides shade, and Jonah's happy. And then God sends a worm to, to eat the plant. And so the plant, the next day, it withers. And Jonah's exceedingly mad. And he says, actually then God says, uh, are you justified in your anger? Are you, is it, are you justified? Do you have a good reason to be angry right now? And, uh, and Jonah says, yes, even unto death. Kill me. This is all worthless. Just kill me, God. Why am I even alive to see this happening? And, uh, and, and God doesn't answer 
his cry to be killed, but he says, he basically, he's what he says, and at the, this is where the story of Jonah ends, and, and the story of us and God begins. He says, you had compassion on this plant, who came up yesterday and died today. Can I not then have compassion on this great city who knows neither their right hand nor their left hand and who has many, 120,000 men and all these, all these cows? Can I not be compassionate towards them if you can be compassionate towards this plant? And that's where, that's where the story ends. And Jonah, does, Jonah doesn't answer the question because it's, it's actually left as a, as a question to the reader. It's left as a question to us. Can we handle this God who loves the very people that we have learned to hate? Can we handle this God whose grace is so much bigger than our conception of grace? See, the book of Jonah holds up a mirror to the one who reads it where we see the worst parts of our own character magnified. This is, this is, this is the, the pride. This is the, the self-superiority. This is the, the racism, right? Jonah, I think there's even a case we made. Tim Keller makes the case, the pastor. He makes the case that Jonah's actually like this racist nationalist who really just cares about Israel, doesn't see that Israel's sent to be a light to the nations. He actually just wants Israel's interest in mind. He wants to see anyone else who would come in conflict with that judged and killed. He, ta- he talks to the sailors and, he, and the, the sailors ask Jonah, who are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. There's this kind of this, this, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. And, uh, and so we see the worst parts of our human nature justifying our, our bad actions, wanting to be, uh, you know, not, not seeing our lives worth living because God's being kind to those that we don't think deserve it, without even recognizing, right, that, that we're on that same side, that we are not deserving of this kindness, of this grace, of this mercy that God shows to us. So even more, we see the grace of God magnified that God would love the Jonah inside all of us. That God would love the Jonah, right, inside all of us. So, so the response then, I think for a heart tuned into God, should just be this humility and gratitude. That, that mercy does triumph over judgment, as James says. That mercy does triumph, but, it's, but it's, we're on the receiving end. Do you see the message of Jesus right in this, in this story? Right, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us while we were enemies, not deserving of God's grace, not deserving of God's mercy, not deserving of a word to be spoken, of a life to be lived in our place, on our behalf, which is Jesus. But we see here, God's heart is so much bigger than Jonah's limited understanding. See, Jonah sees a God in his own making. Jonah sees a God who looks just like him. And when God begins to show up 
as a God who's way bigger, way more expansive, way more merciful, way more gracious. Jonah rebels. Jonah resists. Jonah flees because he has a different vision for his life. And so I just want to take a, a moment here and, and just like hold up this mirror, right, to myself. Like I, I feel like I can, I can preach this message, but I also feel completely unqualified in the sense that God's, God's just speaking right to, right to me, right to my heart, exposing the things, the places where I just see myself as better than the person who's doing those things. Where I see myself as somehow more deserving of God's favor and of His love and of His grace as the people who aren't here today. But that's just a broken way of thinking. We need God to to actually restore to us the joy of our salvation that says it's not because of anything I've done. It's because I I was the rebellious son. I was the rebellious son. And yet, as, as John Ortberg says, one of the hardest things is to be neither the rebellious son nor the older brother. To be neither the one who's running nor the one who's judging God's mercy and God's relenting love for the one who doesn't deserve it. And so there's actually, you could even take the story of the prodigal son and overlay it, actually, over, over the story of, of Jonah. But my... In the time that we have, I actually just want us to, to, to pray uh, and, and consider the ways that we have, that we can, we can see our own tendencies in the life of Jonah. So, if you could join with me in this time of prayer as we ask God to show us our tendencies. Father, we pray this morning. Uh, not, not, not even in just stock prayers, um, but God, we actually ask that you would search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us, that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Father, we just pray right now. We come before you humbly recognizing that this, is, this love you've given us, this this gospel you've given us, this grace you've lavishly poured out, God, it's not a grace we deserve. It's not a grace we've earned. In fact, we've earned the very opposite. But Jesus, you've come to forgive. You've come to cleanse. You've come to restore. And even to restore to us the mission of Jonah, to be sent as a mouthpiece of the God of heaven and earth, the God who made the sea and the dry land, to bring a word of grace to our neighbors, to our co-workers, God, to the people that we come in contact with. I pray, God, that you would restore to us the mission of Jonah. That as we see our own need before you, our own 
desperate need for your grace, God. That we would then actually, in the power of your Spirit, be sent into the world knowing, God, that you're more gracious than we. You're more gracious than what we tend toward. That in a five-word sermon, God, you can turn a whole city. May we be humble enough to be bold and speak the name of Jesus to our neighbors, to our friends and our family. God, you're on the edge of your seat, ready to relent concerning calamity. May we not be hesitant, but may we be bold to speak your word, to show your love, and, and, and really trust that, God, you're, you're so ready to bring salvation, restoration, and yet you choose to use us to share your love, to share your gospel. Wherever this story lands in our hearts, wherever, God, the mirrors held up and we see our own tendencies, God, I pray by your Spirit You'd conform us to the image of Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.